You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. I think I'm humming a little bit. So, Amen. Well, good. it's just so good to see all of you again and some folks for the first time. Praise the Lord. And I'm glad to be up here where it's cool from hot Houston. Where we're known for lots of stuff. Uh, even though Pastor Bill's a hater of a certain baseball team, we're not doing too bad, you know. <laughs> I want to uh, take a moment here and uh, thank this church for your generosity. You do support what we do monthly, but you went way and beyond last month. Uh, I was invited. The whole thing's unusual. A friend of mine that pastors over in Boston, he is a Lebanese brother, but he pastors a church full of Kenyan people, about 600 people from Kenya. So it's an unusual combination. And uh, he, he, he has an online prayer event, I think three times a week, and it's really good. The worship is wonderful, and you can feel the presence of God. It's just not sort of doing duty. It's really alive. And so my son and I were watching for a little bit. One of my sons came to stay with me while the COVID thing was raging. And so we turned him on, and, uh, when, and I typed my name in and said, God bless you, Pastor, and put his name in. When he saw my name come up on the scroll, the name scroll, he stopped the whole program and addressed me personally. Now, you can't hide an invitation when the whole world can see it. So... <laughs> Here it's coming. Oh, Brother Dale, you have to join me in Lebanon in a few days and blah, 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 blah. Well, the back story is about six or seven years ago now, the Lord began to speak to me to go back to Lebanon where I hadn't been for 30 years. And the people I knew then were either gone or dead. So I said to the Lord, the answer is yes. If you're calling, I'm willing to go in spite of the risks and all of it. I'm willing to go. But I, I just ask you this. Bring someone into my life. So I don't have to spend a lot of time spending money, and especially the time, doing reconnaissance, trying to figure out in my flesh what you want to do. Just bring somebody to me that will be the starter gate. Two years went by, nothing happened. You know, when a farmer plants, the Bible says he waits patiently for the harvest. That's a gift I'm trying to get a hold of. So sometimes marriage will work that into your life. But... Uh, <laughs> So, so nothing happened, so I'm reminding the Lord that he promised, and so did I, but nothing's happening. Now, I belong to a fellowship that meets only on the island of Malta. You know where that is? Halfway between Algeria and Italy. It's out in the Mediterranean. And uh, it meets there because people that serve Jesus in North Africa, we're talking Morocco, Libya, Algeria, Tunisia, those places can come there with visas, but they can't get to Europe, but they can come there. So about 150 of us from north or west of there provide some attendance money, and that gets them ferry tickets and plane tickets and what have you. They can meet there, and it's safe for them because the hotel is isolated and it's secured. And about 450 come from North Africa. You've never heard anything like it in your life. I mean, it's like listening to the book of Acts, what's going on in places where, quote, the gospel can't be preached. Well, here's some new news. God is working everywhere, and he doesn't know about closed doors. He doesn't know about that. If God's God, he can do jolly well whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases. I'm telling you, he's at work. Every place, every place. And... Uh, I went to this conference, and uh, on the third day, I'm in a room with, altogether there's about 600 of us, but at an oblong table like this, and there are six Algerian ministers and Dale, so there's seven at a table for eight. Down here where the bottle of oil is, was the one open space, and I look around, and there's a big tall guy with a food tray, and he's, oh, well, could I say, sure, sit down. I have, I've never seen the guy, don't know anything about him, sits down. But he put his big, ugly cell phone on my fork. Listen, when you're eating Middle Eastern desserts, well, if you have a dog, you don't put your hand in the dish when it's eating. You understand what I'm saying? You're going to get your elbow bit if you mess with. So, so while the guy's putting his tray away, I moved that miserable phone over, but I couldn't help but see a message that was on it because it was huge print. And it was to one of my best friends in California, 
And uh, so when he sat down, not knowing him, we hadn't exchanged names or anything, I said, by the way, I had to move your phone here to resume the joy of what I was eating. And tell Baron and Lisa hi for me and their grandbaby's beautiful. I'll see him in a couple of weeks. You know those people? I know them very well. Well, that fellow and myself, and more importantly, our local church in California, produced a video Bible school, and we were all part of that, that now is in 72 languages completely and fits and bits of another 10. It's used in 151 countries by more than 300,000 students. So I think, I think it worked. I think it's not only that, I think it's worked. And so this guy says to me, I am the president, it's called ISOM, International School of Ministry. I'm the president of ISOM for the whole Middle East. I said, that's amazing. But what are you doing here? He said, I don't know. I don't know his name yet, but I don't know. And all of a sudden, I felt the Holy Ghost, you know, safe, sanctified, hey, filled with, you know, when it hits you in the neck, it's the real deal. I said, you mean you don't, well, how, how did you get here? Well, I flew here today. Why? I don't know. All I know is my wife's going to kick me over to the guest room or she's moving because I'm rocking and rolling. For the last three weeks, every time I get down to pray, I hear the Lord say, go to Valata, capital Malta, go there. And this morning, my wife said, get out of the house and go to Valata. So he said, that little bag up there, I mean, just a little duffel. I just went to the airport, and I had to go through Milano, and I finally got down here. And I said, how did you get in this building? This place is secured like Fort Knox. He said, well, you know, when you come out, when you come out of immigration, there's a coffee bar right here. Yes, I know. Well, if this center door here is the exit door, right there is a sign which says, if you're going to the beach hotels, stand here. The drivers will collect you here. This is the meeting point for that. He said, there's seven or eight people there. I just come out. The driver says, come with me if you're going to the beach hotels. There was no place for me because I hadn't made an appointment anyway. So there's a cab rank right behind him. I said, get in the cab, follow that guy. Where's he going? I don't know, but just follow him until he stops. He said, we came here. I said, but how did you get in here even to eat? There's security people there. He said, well, I just got in line with them, and they just gave me the ring, and they gave me a pass, and here's a room card. I haven't even been up there yet. I said, well, now I'm going to prophesy to you. If you don't get enrolled, your big Lebanese behind is going to be on the curb in about 10 minutes if you start walking around this hotel. So every dinner, I'll take you upstairs and get you enrolled. I said, by the way, now I'm going to prophesy the truth to you. And the truth is, you're not here for this. You're here for me. And three weeks later, I was in Lebanon. There four more times that same year. And so now I'm invited to go with this other brother. This goes right back to September. And in just a few days, we went. And he said, I know you do things and give things away. We need help. We actually have names of 500 families. Many are widows, and many of the others are moms without husbands, attendants, they're refugees. Would you help feed 300 families? 30 kilos, that's 66 pounds of food, rice and beans, etc. I said, we'll do it. We'll just take it on and we'll do it. The next day, money started coming in driblets for this before I'd even announced it. And then, just a day before Pastor Bill and I were talking, I think it was also in September, uh, I got a call and said, well, we want to thank the Lord that our, our number on the food thing is 500 people, 500 families. So 500 times 66 pounds, now we're getting a whole lot of food. And plus, we've also decided winter's coming, and it's mid-40s over here in rain, so people need warm blankets. We're buying 2,000 blankets. Each family will get, because they're living in plastic, just with plastic around. That's all they have, and living on the dirt. So we're, we're, we're going to do that for them. Could you help with that? Well, I'm in already, so I might as well just say amen. And your pastor said, we'll take care of that, that other $3,500 we needed, because that, that just the day before, I heard that we're going from 300 to 500. How many know if you're going down to Kroger's today to shop for that many people? It makes a difference. <laughs> that much one more visitor coming to your house, two more potatoes, another chicken leg, you make it. But if you have to feed 200 families, it's truckloads. It's truckloads, you see. 
So let me show you what happened. Here's a few little slides, and I'll make this quick because I'm really not here for mission service today, but I want to bless you and thank you for what you've done. There it is. This is in the city of Baalbek. How many has ever heard of Baal? He was invented in this town. Okay. It's also famous today for another reason. How many has ever heard of Hezbollah? World headquarters, a block from where we're at, right here. There are 10,000 missiles, we're told, in Baalbek, all pointed at Israel. That's the flavor of the place. You feel the evil when you drive in there. In that town, refugees and single women with kids, we fed 105 families, and that's the stacks back there because we were told don't stay long, so we didn't. We offloaded it. There's people we trust doing the work of distribution. This man is King Laban. The right side's not the king. That's my youngest son. Uh, but the king is the guy on my left. Where is he at? Yeah, your left. Uh, he, I met him uh, three years ago. We are now in a town whose name is this long. I can't pronounce it. But less than 100 feet from where this picture was taken are 9,000 refugees, and 2,000 of them are children. 1,000 of them have no parents with them, living in the dirt, living in the dirt. The tribe are Bedouins, Bedouins. This man, Mr. Laban, is the king of the Bedouins in Turkey, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, and Lebanon, and lives in this little town. The king always has a big house. The blue wall behind us is one little piece of his house. He went and bought a small house, and he turned the, the royal palace into a school for Bedouin kids, and they educate 400 children there. And by the way, all the teachers are born again and spirit-filled. Try that on, okay? We trust him very much. He's a, he's a trusted partner. When I first met him, we stepped into a conference room, small conference room, and he's, you know, he's the, he's the head honk, so you... He has to speak first and set first the protocols and all of that. And he just kept standing, so I kept standing. And he said, I know you've come to help us in a material way, but he said, sir, a few months ago, I found Jesus Christ as my Savior. All the other people in the room are Muslims. He said, I found Jesus Christ as Savior, and I ask you, please, because I don't know much about him yet, could you speak to me at least one hour, just about Jesus Christ. I said, I think we can work on that, okay? <laughs> and we sat down and immediately became friends, and uh, we did a distribution there a few months after we met of wheelchairs. It's been amazing what's happened. It's opened the whole government to us. Uh, there's another truckload, there's another truckload, and you, my dear friends, partnered in this. You did it. You gave money, that's where it went, that's where 100% of it went, when we get special gifts like this, there's nothing taken out for administration or anything else or for my living. 100% of it went right back out the door. Uh, and there's wheelchairs we give away. Now we are in Greece where we sent 250 wheelchairs the, wheel, the year before and they were locked up for a whole year. Now they've just been distributed and across a period of uh, about 10 days, my son and I made on-site visits to 15 institutions and a half a dozen individuals. These chairs come from Joan Erickson Tata, and I owe them reports, so we had to go see. I'm not a police officer, we just wanted to see how it is. Well, it turned out to an ongoing everyday evangelism program because with one exception, in every place we were able to pray, and we were there for an hour and a half to three hours, so it took some time to do all of this, and in every place, somebody received Jesus as Savior while we're talking about wheelchairs. And, uh, but I want to finish up with Lebanon. I want to finish up with Lebanon. And you can roll whatever's left or just, if that's the last slide, that's finished. Thank you so much, Ian. Uh, in Lebanon, the Lord made us a prophetic promise because I accepted the invitation over television <laughs> with my friend in Boston. And so we went and we joined that man and a couple of others. Uh, before our week was out over there, the Lord promised us that, that the gates of government was going to be open. The day we're in that village with those poor people, that night we had dinner with 25 members of the parliament in a billionaire's estate. Before that evening was out, seven members of that group also received Christ as Savior. Wow. Somebody say amen. We're talking about the real deal here. 
where you're not supposed to be able to preach the gospel and do that, listen, it's amazing. If God can't come in the front door of a place, he's going to come in the basement window, but he's coming. The kingdom of God cannot be excluded any place. It's going to come in. And so uh, this afternoon, in fact, two men that were on that trip are going back to meet very, very high levels. We were even invited to the president's office. That is the president of Lebanon for an entree. Supposed to be 20 minutes, it wound up an hour and a half. And a clear testimony about Jesus was even given to him. And, and so I don't know all that's following. In fact, the Archbishop of the Orthodox Church for Syria showed up to dinner in another house one night. And all of those people now, uh, they know their country is fractured, they know it's broken. And passing more laws and spending more money will not heal the problem. Why? How many know if your foot hurts, you don't get a brain surgeon to fix it? So money and law, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. Uh, if you ever have a hurt foot, <laughs> I want to call him Chester, you know, he's gimping him. Now I lost wherever I was, okay. But it, it's amazing the doors God is opening so you can speak truth to people of power. Politics and money, and this is a good principle for America as well, will not solve these problems because the cause is moral failure. The cause is wickedness. Until you speak to that, the world will not be a better place. And so now it's so bad, you know, the banks, the power's out half the day and it just goes out and it's out three or four hours. So ATMs are closed, the stores closed, the banks closed. And uh, right after we left, the next four days, there was, no, there was no gasoline at all in the entire country. Now, they're buying gasoline from Iran, but they sell it to the Syrians because they make a big profit on it. Now, where that money is going, none of us know. But I'm telling you, by speaking to those who rule that place and being among them, they are desperate for answers. And at least the core of them are saying, maybe, maybe faith, well, their words, maybe religion is the answer. And I've quickly said, well, I'd like to correct that. Jesus is the answer to your messes if he's followed in worship and we follow what he teaches. These principles will work. These men are going for exactly that, to set up very high-level meetings. Uh, pray for Lebanon because here's a statistic that's important. Lebanon's the only Arabic-speaking, largely Islamic nation in all of the Middle East where the gospel can be freely preached. You can rent an auditorium, we had 1,400 people in the church service. It was more Pentecostal in the expression than this meeting this morning. People were jumping and falling out and getting healed. And at the end of the meeting, the ones we could count, I think 142 was the count of those who committed their life to Christ for the very first time. We were free. There was no police. In fact, the police will protect you if you're doing that kind of thing. So... Uh, I want to thank you in Jesus' name for what you did because somebody today had a meal in Lebanon because of you. Amen. Because Amen. of you. So thank you and God bless you. All right. I want to talk a little bit today and uh, don't fuss at me if I run on a little bit. I've come further than anybody here to come to church. <laughs> so I, I want to enjoy it for myself. Is that all right? And I already am. So I love, the, love this worship and we walked out of the office, you could just feel the presence of God flowing in the house. It's a side point, but we're trying to teach our own, the church I belong to in Houston, to don't come here to worship, come worshiping. Amen. Start that in your house. Get some good music on you can sing with, worship with. If whatever you listen to, you can't do that, change what you're listening to. But come here worshiping. Come here praying. It's easy to come in with all kinds of stuff on your mind about your life, your job, everything else. That is exactly the level of what you will receive. Not very much. Why? You can't be filled if you're already full of stuff. We have, God has to have something to work with. Okay? So, uh, the pastor told me to say these things, so I'm going through my list here. To <laughs> but how many know we get much more out if we put something into it? Okay. Well, a few people, this row here believes, I think. 
But how many, it just makes sense to prepare ourselves coming into the presence of God. Read through the Old Testament all the work that was required for any priest going into the presence of God. A lot of stuff, washings and clothes and all. But more than all of that was the mindset that you just don't pop in on God. You've got to get yourself ready to go there. And if you do, there's enormously, enormous benefit of consequences of that preparation. So come hungry, but come worshiping. Amen. Come praying. Stay in the car park five minutes and get into praise. Start thanking God. You'll be amazed at how much better the service is. You know why? You come here better. <laughs> That's why. Poor God having to look at some of us. I've done it, and I've gone with my mind full of stuff because my head's in the morning, I want to pray and praise first because once the computer's on, my head is all over the world. We're, any given time, may have things going on in 15 or 20 countries. Psh, off we go. How many know you don't center on Jesus when your thoughts are scattered? You're scattered. You're scattered. So, Lord, we thank you that you build us to think about a lot of things at once. But great joy comes when we focus on the one called Jesus. Teach us how to do that more effectively and efficiently. And Lord, I'm praying for my own heart as well as the house. Teach us how to get better than that. And Lord, you know because you're guiding this meeting in an incredibly perfect way about what should happen here and what is happening already. You know, Lord, I've prepared something very different than what I'm going to say for this gathering. But the longer this week has gone on, and even a few days last week, it's been very clear to me what should be said. So this is just out of my heart. It's really not organized all that well. But there may not be a detailed teaching, but there will be a message from heaven. That's what we want to hear is a word that's on the lips of Jesus. Thank you for it, and everybody said. Amen. We're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 2 in just a moment. Deuteronomy, Deutros, the second reading of the law or giving of the law. But I want to start with a little story, <clears throat> and uh, it's about a young lady who wrote me a three-page text, that, well, not only me, but many others, a text this week. Uh, we know this girl because she went to the same university my daughter went. They didn't room together, but on the same campus. My daughter was in the law school. This girl was in the communications department. And um, along through the semester, she put my daughter up on the law school, which got her hired by Joel Osteen a few years ago, and she's still there. But the girl got in communications, and she lived a whole summer with us, in fact, from mid-May till late in August, because she was engaged to a boy from our church, and she was working two mornings a week for Pastor Hayford and just drive up there and do that work and communications and writing intros to his radio and TV progress and all of that. Married this young man, and... Uh, had four girls very close together. I think there's not more than two years between them. So the oldest one is now 18 years old. Now, all that's not in her text. What, in, what was in her text was this. I have worked two jobs, so has my husband, and something is wrong because we never in 20 years of marriage have had any money, and there was a picture of her check balance from the bank, 50 cents in the bank. So what was there? Which is nothing. I've had to have three jaw surgeries, which we had to pay for. We have been struck four times in our vehicles. They were destroyed. One we had to pay for. Now we have one child in college. I don't know how we're going to manage that. And we lost our house 10 years ago when I was ill. And on and on, three pages of losses and grieving and complaint about what's happened to us, I prayed until I was hoarse. There is no answer coming from heaven. Now I can tell you, because I know the situation of that family, their problem is not first economic, even though that's the manifestation. The major problem in that family is who can I trust? There's a trust deficit in the family, which manifests itself in the lack of money. And, a lot, and all kinds of other things, healing and what have you. How many know God's able for that family? He's able. And, 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 and so all of that and his ability to care for a family uh, is, is not on the page. 
And she signed it, so there, it's a miserable day, and put her name on that. Now, the next day it was already gone. I think there probably was some pushback somewhere. Let me tell you her condition in one word, stuck. She's on a merry-go-round of defeat, stuck. And that whole written manifestation was, there's, for me, there is no way out. It's like 2 Corinthians 10. Now, we're coming to Deuteronomy in a little bit, which says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through the Holy Spirit to the tearing down of strongholds. Stronghold, there's not a demon. It's a mindset. She is stuck in a mindset that says, for me and mine, in spite of church and what we've heard, we're poor. We don't have enough money to make things happen. Well, there's another deficit. It's on the trust level because prosperity is not about the quantity of money. It's about the quality of trust. Amen. Not about the quantity of money. It's about the quality of trust. Are you following? Okay. So that's what I want to talk about today is being stuck. Because as I prayed even early this morning over this meeting, I'm pretty sure there's at least one person here that's stuck in what I'd call a dead marriage. I'm pretty sure somebody's stuck in the economic, just like this young lady I talked about, that where it just never seems to happen for you. If you get a thousand bucks ahead, the car fails and you need 1200 to get it fixed. It just doesn't work. But I'm telling you, you'd be welcome down at our church because we have widows that are on fixed income that are prospering unbelievably on the same income they had 10 years ago. But they have more than enough money to go on cruises, take vacations, give demissions lavishly because they've learned that if your trust is of a certain quality, resources are coming into your house and can't be kept out. And it's not about what you earn, it's about the quality of trust. So I invite you today, if you're in a stuck something, and the, the biggest one is not money. The biggest one's mindsets that you are defeated at some level and dimension of living. Here's good news. There's hope to get out of that. So here we go. And this is about Israel. Now listen to this. This amazing stories through here, through Deuteronomy. Verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. Then we turned and we set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to me and circled we parentheses, circled Mount Seir for many days. Let me tell you how many days it was. 38 years. Round and round and round. How many know that's more than a few days? Sometimes the Bible is underspoken. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to me saying, you have circled this mountain long enough, now turn north. Now, let's go. How many know there's probably ruts around that mountain for all these million and a half, two million people and animals going around, around, around? Now go north. So they're at, the, they're, at, they're at Kadesh Barnea, and they've got to come to this little river called Thered. It's 50 miles, that distance, 50 miles. But it's a lot of people and a lot of animals to move, okay? So the story goes on. <clears throat> You've been around this mountain long enough, turn north and command the people saying, you'll pass through the territory of your brothers, the sons of Esau, who live in Seir, and they'll be afraid of you, so be very careful. Don't provoke them. Let's go to verse 7. For the Lord your God has blessed you. Now God is giving his testimony again. He's blessed you in all that you've done. He has known your wanderings through this great wilderness these 40 years. And the Lord your God has been with you. Let me see if I can just uh, find one other verse here that I was not thinking about. Ah, yeah. Uh, look just briefly in chapter 8, verse 2 of Deuteronomy. Why the wilderness when they could have gone from Egypt in a straight line and in two weeks been in the promised land? Why the wilderness? Because they needed some internal work. That's why. How many know God's not going to put an old tribe in a new land until they had a new mindset and a new heart? New is for new. So in chapter 8, verse 2, the Lord says, well, verse 1, all the commandments I'm commanding you today, you should be careful to do all of that. Possess the land given to your forefathers, and you shall remember 
all the way that the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Excuse me, did you see the word led? That's not like a lead battery. This means the guidance of God taking them somewhere. So it immediately takes the idea of judgment off of this process. Are you following? The wilderness was not a judgment season. Not judgment. God said, I've been watching all the years I led you. There's something of eternal and divine purpose in the wilderness. And here's a side point, but it's a big point. If you intend to be used by God at all, you will go on a one-way ticket into the wilderness of some kind. And you won't come out. There's no return ticket until God's done fixing us. You will go there. Why would you go bankrupt? Why, why are we having all these problems? It doesn't seem like anything's going. God's working on us to his benefit and ours if we'll stop grumbling about it and say thank you that, you, that you've taken notice of me. I wish there was a little more participation here, but I'm getting happy for myself, all right? Led you in the wilderness these 40 years, and here's the reasons God allowed a 40-year stay out in the bush. Humility. He might humble you. He wanted to test you to know what's in your heart, and didn't God find out? Hmm? And I wanted to see whether or not you'd keep the commandments, in parentheses, quickly. You, would you obey quickly? So I want to grow humility in you. How many know you'd have, if you were a Jew wandering around out here, you'd have some reason to boast. <laughs> see these threads? 22 years, 11 months, and 6 days. Just like brand new. See these sandals here? It's from a Holy Ghost goat. They're just like the day I put them on. And by the way, come, come look in the morning when the chickens start crowing. What's on the ground here? Every day, coconut-covered puffballs are coming out of heaven. Every day, every day. And our enemies just run. They've heard about us, God's with us, because what scares them first is rolling into town. It's that big pillar of fire standing up. We've got the pedigree for the power. God said, what I want from you is not more praise for the cloud, but I want to see humility, that it was God's Yad Vashem, his right arm, that has brought us over. That's why the rock pile on the west side of Jordan, what does this mean? You'll say even to your grandkids, the Lord brought us here. That's what these rocks are about in this monument. Humility, to see what's in your heart and to see if you'll obey me quick. That's the reason. Not God's mean, and he's not judging his own people. He's trying to get them clean, cleaned up and fit to dominate and rule in a new place. I don't know if you've caught it yet, but COVID's just not about a virus. The purposes of God are being worked underneath and beside all of this mess. One of which is Salem Tab, and I love you folks, been here, coming here many years. And praying for you regularly. Not a week goes by. Your name is, is named before the Lord. Why? Because in, in, in the expression of ministry, we're partners even though we're separated by some distance. As the friend of, a house, of this house, I'm telling you, you are not going to just resume a bunch of things you were involved with. Something fresh is trying to break out here. But how many know you can be pregnant a long time, but when the birthday comes, there's pain and mess. That's part of birthing. Pain and mess, but all of a sudden you've got a baby and everybody rejoices. Felt good to say that. Yeah, so we passed by. They went, now, now go over in the chapter just a little more. And uh, anybody enjoying this yet? Okay. I, I have to pause here. We're going we're gonna to read next around verse 14, uh, verse 13 over in there. In fact, let me read it. It's God's word. Now arise, cross over the brook Zered yourselves. So we crossed over the brook Zered. Now the time that it took for us to come from Kadesh Barnea, 50 miles away, until we crossed over this brook was 38 years. And from Kadesh Barnea, Barnea to that river is 50 miles. How many think that's a long wait? 
and a lot of weariness. And here's what happened. We had to, God had to wait until the generation of men of war perished from within the camp. There's not all these outside nations as the Lord had sworn to them. Moreover, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from within the camp until they all perished. They could not cross that river, another translation says, until the old men died. Now, God's not a hater. Why'd they have to die? Because they operated in the flesh. Here's another principle I hope you get a hold of. You know, uh, on, the way, on the way to this 38-year wait, on the way we have Sinai and the law and the tablets and all of those things going on. And, uh, you know, like in Exodus 19 and before, uh, uh, Moses is up and down the mountain several times, not just once, but he's, up, he's up, up and down, up and down. But one time he gets up there, and now you have to imagine. You have to just let your imagination go to get the, the, the picture. Not even an animal could go above the base of that mountain without it being struck dead. God said, no one's coming up here except him. Even the priest, let's let them set aside here. And so he goes up there, and there were physical manifestations resulting from God being present because God said, I'm going down on the top of the mountain to meet with Moses face to face. I mean, that's a pretty serious encounter, don't you think? And so surrounding that was the top of the mountain was covered with clouds. I love to fish in Alaska, and if you fish on the Cook Inlet, and it's a clear day, you can see three volcanoes in a row that span about 80 miles. The one in the middle is called Mount Redoubt. It usually always has snow all year, and the smoke, I always think of Exodus 19 when I see that. It was probably like that, but there were some additional things. Thunder and lightning, and the mountain was vibrating, a perpetual earthquake for 40 days. Now, how many think, if you were just a follower of Jehovah God and you'd seen that pillar go around and followed it, you'd be struck by all of this phenomena going on? Would, would you not? This is a real deal. Real lightning, real thunder, mountain shaken, and God and Moses are having some long talks up there. Now, what's happening at the mountain base is this guy Aaron has succumbed to the calls of the people to change worship up. And he capitulated to that and said, well, bring all your jewelry here and we'll see what happens. We threw it in the fire. Voila! Out came a calf. Really? Calf shows up. Here's a principle. Nearness and proximity to the anointing does not produce righteousness by itself. A few hundred meters away, Moses is talking face-to-face to the living God. At the base, God's people are having an orgy and claiming that that calf was the God who bought them out of Egypt. God's right arm bought them out of Egypt, and they declare that a cow was the one who really did it. Wouldn't you think there'd be more spiritual acumen and appetite and respect for the God on that mountain than this bunch of nonsense that's going on? What what are you saying straight up there? What I'm saying is you can sit in this church for 40 years and not know God at all and feel him in every service. It's not what's felt. It's what's applied and ingested into the spiritual makeup of a man, lest we get stuck. How do we get out of getting stuck? Stuck, whatever it is, money, marriages, circumstances, a job you can't stand, you're not happy, you, you, you get up every morning and say, help me God just to bear it another day, but you've got to have the salary to pay the mortgage. And well, it, it's, it's a corny old trite saying, but it's, it's true over this matter right now. Whatever the stuck is. Is stuckness a word? We'll make it a word. It, it is now. It's a creative miracle. Just that. Stuckness. Look at your neighbor and say, he's trying to tell us something. I don't quite get it yet, but it's, it's stuckness. Okay. We are going to have to do something we have never done before to go where God has never taken us before. We've got to break out by intentional choice. 
to not be the same at whatever point the stuckness happens to be. One of the large ones in our country is money. Hey, man, I've got 20 days money for a 30-day month. You can break the cycle of that. The Bible nowhere promises everyone's going to be millionaires. But here's what I think is a fair representation of God's attitude about money out of 2 Corinthians 9. I, you, God's idea about money is this. You will always have enough to take care of every obligation in a timely way. And enough left over to be generous in the face of every kind of need. How many think that gets it? That's his idea. Not we'll all be millionaires, but our bills are handled and we can be generous. There will be enough. There will be enough. I saw my wife's 84-year-old grandmother, retired doctor, and she didn't, she didn't have any big wad of money. She kept giving it away. Till the year she died, she was giving to more than 20 mission organizations. 84 years old on a fixed income. One day we're at a stop sign in the neighborhood where she lived, and it's a for sale sign on a triplex. She said, oh, honey, I think I need to buy that. I said, nanny, you're 82 years old. Why would you need that? More money for Jesus. I said, do you have the money to buy that? She said, I will. <laughs> That's what releases the hand of God. And some part of her business had been mixed up in a few days, more than twice the amount of money to buy that rental unit, three of them, had come to her from years before. I said, I want to walk with a woman like that. You know what was good about her? The quality of her trust. Quality of her faith. Had nothing to do with she's on a pension. Get over that. God's bigger than your pension. He's bigger than fixed incomes. He's bigger than whatever support you may get from agencies of the state or government. He's bigger than all of that stuff. And so that second point, we become like the thing we gaze upon and worship. Look, uh, it's, uh, it's when, when problems heap up, it's just our nature. Look, I've done it. I've confessed to you I have. It's very easy to get obsessed with all the difficulties that, that come, especially when there's one thing after another, like that young lady right in that text, just one thing, and now it's gone on for 20 years. When we get our focus on the battles of life, didn't the Bible say over in Matthew's letter, there's a way the seed gets robbed from you quickly, the cares of life is a demon that'll grab this seed I'm teaching this morning out of your life, if you let it. And how do you let it? By focusing on the cares of life. Firstly, I don't think it should be any surprise that the world is full of sinners and they act like that. Oh my goodness, can you believe how that person's doing all this stuff? Yes, I can believe it. Why? Because that's what sinners do. Sinners are acting like sinners. What's frightening is when saints act like sinners. Okay? especially mentally. Focus, well, brother, you don't know what I've been through. And excuse moi, you don't know what I've been through. So let's trade horror stories. Or we can say, you know what? I've made a choice this morning. Here's what it sounded like. When my feet hit the floor, I said to the Lord out loud, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm choosing to rejoice and screw it up as quick as I can. No, that's not how it goes. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Aren't there some things that challenge you every day, every day, and in 20 countries? Sure. But I'm not laying in bed and like, whoa, what's going to happen in Ethiopia? What's going to happen in, you know, Nepal? What's good? No, no, no. Look, God's building the kingdom, and it's settled in his mind and heart. It's what he cares about, and if we're doing his work, you see. Secondarily, and I don't want to be unkind, or thirdly, wherever we are, I'm coming to a close here, I hope. Some of you may have to switch out a few of your friends. I'll tell you who I cannot countenance in my life. Complainers and faithless people. Well, you, you better be careful, you know. God ain't doing that stuff today, you know. Well, 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 well. You know what I want to say? Shut the hell up. <laughs> or something close to that. And here's why. 
I don't need your help getting depressed. I can get depressed by myself. <laughs> what I need is someone say, you know, no matter what the circumstance may be today, God still appears to be on his throne. And we still, we still have his word. And I think I'm just going to believe him. I'm going to believe what he said. He's going to protect his investment that he's put in you and you and you and you and you. So you may have to swap out a few. I cannot have people around me that are complainers and faithless. One time in the little country of Moldova, when we started there, they had 10 full gospel churches. Today, they are moving towards 500 churches. What a good investment that was. We're in front of the, the mayor of the capital city, Kishinev. We wanted to get a building released. By the grace of God, that happened. Then he said, well, now, sir, we've helped you. We'd like you to help us. I said, what, what's needed? We need milk. When the Russians left here, they closed the dairies and took all the equipment. Our children need milk. Will you help us with a container of powdered milk, whole milk? Yes. Now, at that point in time, I didn't do all this humanitarian stuff. When we left there, my treasure is in the building with me. So our Moldovan brothers are ahead, and they are jumping for joy. They've got their building, which was not going to be permitted, but now it is, so they're going to get it, and they did. And now Big Gary, he's six foot seven. He's my, been my treasurer for almost 30 years. We're walking down the sidewalk, and he said, listen, Doc, did you hear what you said in there? I said, well, what did you hear that I said in there? You promised that mayor the moon and the cheese on it. I said, yeah, probably right. He said, do you have some connections with milk? I said, no, we can go steal a few cows and try to take care of part of this and we'll rustle a little bit. He said, no, I'm serious. I said, no, I don't have any connection to milk at all. I said, but I'll tell you what I had got. I got a witness from the Holy Ghost. Say yes. So I said, yes. See, faith is always dealing with what's not here yet. If it's in your hand, it's not faith. It's in your hand. Two weeks later, I'm preaching in California over by Palace Verdes on a Sunday morning. I don't know who's in the crowd. The pastors are dear friends. I don't know the church people. But uh, there's a lady there who was visiting. She's not right from that area. She's California, but not from that area. She's listening. After the service, she goes home and calls her brother, who at the time was the head of the South Alabama Milk Producers Association. How many see the end of this story? And she said, I heard a guy preaching this morning, and this is his name, and I got his phone number from the pastor. You need to do something for this guy, because I think he's the real deal. Okay, well, it'll take a little bit. So two months went by, and then they have this corporate board meeting at the Milk Association somewhere in Alabama, and the guy calls me about midnight. Is this who you are? Yes, it is. Very much a southern voice like that, you know, full of sugar. <laughs> and so and so from the Milk Producers Association. Now, mentally, I'm not making the link yet. I said, Well, it's nice of you to call. Can I help you with something? Well, my sister was at Calvary Church a few Sundays ago and heard you talking about needing some milk. Yes, I said, What do you need? I said, Well, I need a container full for sure. Well, he said, we've got two containers full out here, and one of them we've given to somebody in the East Coast. But I think, uh, since the decision is mine, I'd really like for you to have the, the, the other one. Tell me about the circumstances. So I told him. He said, you got it. I said, well, how much is it going to cost? He said, it's not going to cost you anything. I'm giving it to you. Wow. Okay. A man I don't know. Never dealt with Alabama milk producers in my life. I've never even seen a cow from Alabama. <laughs> but how many know God's watching? He was in that meeting, everyone communists except our guys on our side of the table. And he said, and by the way, we do good deeds here periodically, and this is one of those times. Send me all the shipping information, and we're going to ship it right to the door. And not only did they give it, they shipped it. I've never seen a scrap of paper about that container. What I do know is, when it got there, the bishop took some boxes, went right back to that same office and said, we've done what we promised. It has brought enormous favors. 
so the bishop now can walk into the president's office of that nation without an introduction or an appointment, and I have been there with him. A container of milk. All right. I think you've got the point. Here's what I'd like to do in this part in the interest of time. If you're one of those people that are stuck, stuck, dead marriage, dead job, finances, circumstances, like that little lady I talked about. I just want you to stand where you are and say, that's me, I am stuck, and my life needs to get off the merry-go-round, and I need to start. Come on, if that's you, just stand up where you are. You don't have to come down here, but just stand up. Don't be embarrassed. Don't, it's, it's okay. We're here to be helpful, not to critique anybody's life. I've been on a merry-go-round, too, periodically. We need to get off, and it's by the help of God. Here's my simple instruction to you. If Pastor Bill and I could help you unpack where you're at, we'd do it today. Whatever time it took, we'd do it. These things are very subjective and personal. Uh, whatever walked you into it, some pieces of that will walk you back out of it. I know for sure Jesus has to be the centerpiece of the change. Turn your focus on him. Now, we're going to pray for a moment and I want you to pray in this instance for yourself. Lord, I've stood to present myself in a public meeting. I'm stuck. If you know what that is and you know how to pray in tongues, pray in tongues so no one else has to hear or even know. But if I was drowning, I'd probably make some noise to locate somebody that had a rope or a tube to get me out of my distress. So don't be afraid to raise your voice a little bit. And the rest of you that are seated, just look around where folks are and you pray for them. Now, if you're on your feet, I want you to raise your face and your hands, if you will, up to heaven and say, Lord, touch me today. Unstick my stuckness. Break it, break it. Come on, somebody open your heart to God right now. This is where the business is done because it's your heart before God. We're before you, Lord, in a public place. We've acknowledged we're stuck and we need out. We need deliverance. We need freedom. Money, marriages, circumstances, vocationally, intellectually. Out! We need to come out of it. So Jesus, my simple prayer over my friends today is this. Open our minds. Improve the quality of our trust. When you just said in your word, trust in God. Everybody say those words. Trust in we do that today. We shift away from what we think, from our emotional responses and the mental prisons that have locked us up to the glory that's in the face of Jesus. And where his spirit is, there is liberty. Now give him a shout and give him a praise. Come on. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.